Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 29th of December, year of our Lord, 2020. And what a horrible way to wake up Christmas morning in Nashville. By now, you know all about it. He had a boner for AT&T. It has literally done all sorts of stuff to this area. 911, even my medical appointment today, I was... uh, told they couldn't send subscription prescriptions via um, cell phone, as she does, because she had AT&T, and it affected it. Credit cards were down in the area. It was very, very disruptive, as most kind of thought it probably came from, you know, a, a test drive to take down the infrastructure. Um, but the more and more locally we hear, it is really kind of about him being a weird dude. We started our YouTube today. So if you're interested, it will be loaded after this as an audio file, but you will find it at Flyover Politic with a K on YouTube. There's only four subscribers for it, which is family. But you really can't search for it. So I ask you to go to FOP Tony Reed on Twitter. And I put the link in my profile. You'll be able to see it there. And that's how we'll start doing that. I just did the worst of 2020 media. Segment one, going to try and do a COVID and some more before the year's out. Don't know if I'll get there. But um, it will be added, as I said, on numerous podcasts. We're going to add that to our repertoire It's not a great thing. It's an hour and 45 minutes, mostly audio or video of all the shitheads that are in our media. 
And you can see this ugly mug. Got to work out the backdrop because I have like a tan ghillie net on the right wall and real camo on the back wall. And yeah, it looks kind of shitty. So we're going to cut off some of the uh, camouflage, put it back here, make it look a little better, do something. Um, but, you know, it, it's diff- different. Uh, you know, I, I'm from the shoulders up because the way I got to shoot it, which is a little different, but it is hooked up to the uh, blue microphone. So it did sound okay, a little loud. But let's get into the show. Uh, you know, the thing about this that you can tell, all right, is how the media really, 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 really stick to their party line. All right, just stick to it. They refuse to break off whatever the fuck they're talking about at this point in time. And during a lot of this, you did not see people come out and cover these hero cops. As I play this one live, they were heroes. Cool. The circumstances surrounding this explosion are so strange. The neighbors here say it all started at about 6 a.m. This is when News they first Nation. The gunshots. Then about 6.15 a.m., this RV appears downtown. And they start hearing a female's voice broadcasted from the RV on a loudspeaker telling residents that there is going to be an explosion and for them to get out of the area. 15 minutes later, 6.30 a.m. Christmas morning, the RV explodes. You see all of downtown Nashville behind me is closed because there's so much damage. The good news out of all of this is that only three people were hurt and we are told their injuries are not serious. The explosion in downtown Nashville Christmas morning. So this isn't going to hit it, but there was a presser. Uh, the title, the article, was about the hero cops. They went door to door, all right? They literally saved lives. One guy got really fucked up with his hearing. But this is what CNN was doing during that presser. But I want to begin by rewinding four years back to the very beginning, Trump's very first full day in office in January 2017. I know everyone remembers when President Trump freaked out about crowd size at his inauguration. But most people don't know that his fury was triggered by this segment on CNN. It was at 519 in the morning on January 21st. Yep, crowd size gate started right here on this network. It was a short, accurate report. But it drove Trump up a wall. It was the first sign that his entire presidency will be ruled by what he saw on television. And I think what he was trying to accomplish, Brian, is, is move the United States in the direction of what I describe uh, as state-supported media. Uh, we see this happen in other parts of the world where you see uh, countries uh, like Russia and so on drift away from uh, having some semblance of a free and independent press to essentially state-controlled or state-supported media. Uh, the president showing preference for outlets like Fox News and OAN and so on, while pu- trying to punish uh, institutions like The Washington Post, The New York Times, CNN, and the major uh, news networks. I think he was trying to cow the rest of the country uh, into the direction of having either a pro-Trump media or an anti-Trump media. Yeah, there there certainly was a blood sport aspect to it that the president's supporters bought into and relished in seeing. Uh, You know, we saw that at the rallies. 
uh, you know, every time uh, any of us attend one of the rallies, there's always that part during the rally where the president points out the press in the back and directs everybody to roundly begin booing and insulting and all kinds of different things uh, towards the press. Uh, that has become, uh, you know, a normal part of, of the run of show of a Donald Trump rally. Um, and, and I guess the, the difference is, you know, we saw that during the 2016 campaign. It's just very different once it becomes elevated to the level of the president of the United States. Yeah, but they're objective. They're objective because we can't say cops are good. We just can't do it. If we did that, we'd have to admit that maybe BLM's wrong. Maybe the whole liberal cabal about cops going out and lynching people or going to a picnic, as we learned in our last show, is all horse shit. But no, we're not going to do that. Why would we do that? I mean, that would just fucking break the whole narrative. Which brings us to Christmas, because you know we got to. So here is a montage of Wolf's Blitzer, Santa with a mask, a fucking mask, Sharpton, uh, churches don't let black people in, churches aren't open you fucking dipshits, enjoy. I mean, it's Christmas Eve, but that that doesn't even begin to tell the story. (laughs) So if you are unemployed this morning, we can't tell you if you're going to get that next relief check. If you're a service member, that pay raise, maybe not. But if you lied to the Mueller investigation or are related to Jared Kushner, Merry freaking Christmas. And who knows what else is in store for the next 27 days, this political acid trip that kicks off this morning in Mar-a-Lago. Overnight, President Trump pardoned his longtime allies, Paul Manafort and Roger Stone, both of whom refused to cooperate with the Mueller probe. He also pardoned Jared Kushner's father. Republican Senator Ben Sass summed it up in one sentence, saying, quote, this is rotten to the core. Uh, six uh, seminary presidents uh, in the uh, Southern Baptist tradition uh, said they w- don't want to even have taught in their seminaries of uh, uh, critical race history. And uh, Reverend Ralph West and others uh, uh, protested this and, and left the, uh, the, the gathering on, uh, of that denomination uh, in terms of their association because of that not only are they not responding in the way you're saying, they are in effect saying we're going to not allow the discussion in some elements of the white church. You know what's fascinating, too, about that, Reverend Sharpton, is that critical race theory is 30 years old. Uh, Derrick Bell, who taught constitutional law, was one of those at the fountainhead of that intellectual movement. And essentially, critical race theory says we will read America through the lens of our experience as a people. We will call out where race has shaped law, economics, politics. If you read The Color of Law by Higginbotham, if you read the work that shows us that you have no capitalism, without enslavement, that those things are linked together. They are unraveling the myth and telling the story from our perspective. And essentially what those six seminary presidents are saying is, we refuse to see history, economics, and politics from anyone's perspective other than our own white perspective. 
And you cannot have any kind of a sustainable community where people in power refuse to even hear criticism. States and around the world. Santa knows this isn't a great time to travel, but he's taking extra precautions this year. Check out the mask he's wearing. And on behalf of Santa and all of us here in the Situation Room, we want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a happy and healthy holiday season. Now, I added in there Berman doing some shitting on Christmas, but understand that CNN has played Santa wearing a mask more than Warnock's body cam footage. Red States. Ah, well, we covered it now. Greg Brustein, Warnock's ex-wife, call him a great actor in police footage of disputed aftermath. CNN. We won't cover Democrat candidate for Senate assaulting his wife on body cam, where she admits he's a great actor, but he totally tracks Santa and tell you that Santa's wearing a mask. This is who you are now, Jake Tapper. Take a bow. Serious News Network, dude. Your next four years. Have fun, dude, Jake Tapper. CNN has now co- now covered on-air Santa Claus wearing a mask more times than Georgia Democrat Senate candidates assaulting his wife on body cam. Facts first. Somebody reply. CNN gives aids and comfort to the enemy again. But that's who they are. That's how they'll always be. That's how this lady could come out, our soon-to-be vice president, who couldn't receive a single vote from any Democrat and knew it, so she dropped out, couldn't win her own state. But she got selected for her dark skin and vagina. And now she panders about Kwanzaa, a holiday that was made up after she was like two years old. Happy holidays, everyone. I wanted to take a moment to send my warmest wishes to everyone celebrating Kwanzaa. Like so many other holidays, we will be celebrating Kwanzaa a little differently this season in our home. We'll be doing it over Zoom. You know, my sister and I, we grew up celebrating Kwanzaa. Every year, our family and our extended family, we would gather around across multiple generations and we tell stories. The kids would sit on the carpet and the elders would sit in chairs. And, and we would light the candles and, of course, afterwards have a beautiful meal. And, of course, there was always the discussion of the seven principles. And my favorite, I have to tell you, was always the one about self-determination, Kujichagalia. And, you know, essentially it's about, you know, it's about be, be and do. Um, be the person you want to be and do the things you want to do and do the things that need to be done. Um, it's about not letting anyone write our future for us, um, but instead going out and writing it for ourselves. And that principle motivates me today as we seek to confront the challenges facing our country and to build a brighter future for all Americans. So to everyone who is celebrating, happy Kwanzaa from our family to yours. But this is who they are. I can tie it to another Warnock. Washington Free Beacon reports on disturbing allegations of child abuse at Georgia Dem Senate hopeful Ralph Warnock's church camp. 
In 2002, when the police investigated suspected child abuse at Ralph Warnock's church camp for children, Warnock was arrested for investigation. Will the media ask him any questions about this? Another one, Alan Goodman. Campers recount abuse at the camp. Among the indignities, 12-year-old Anthony Washington endured at the church camp overseen by Warnock, counselors who tossed urine on him and locked him outside his cabin overnight. Washington, now 30, recounted the events in an interview with the Washington Free Beacon and said his experience at the camp resulted in a 2003 lawsuit ended two years later when Washington says he and his family received a large financial settlement. Washington expressed surprise when he was told Warnock is currently running for Senate. I don't think nobody like Warnock should be running for damn Senate nowhere running a camp like that. He should not be running for government. At least three straight agencies, the Maryland State Police, the Department of Social Services, and the Department of Health looked into the allegation of child abuse at the camp between 2002 and 2003. But what do we get from our media? Yawn. One fucking huge yawn. Because why would we? Why? Come on, boys and girls. Same team. Same team. It's disgusting. So why would I expect them to ever call out? Ever. Call out anything on the left. They're just not going to do it. It's not who they are. I mean, it's getting so bad for the Senate runout next week. Byron York, New York Times makes final week in-kind contribution. John Ostoff, a 16-year-old, he wrote a letter to John Lewis. Oh, there you go. When Ostoff was 19, a rising sophomore at Georgetown, he went to work for Hank Johnson, primary speechwriter. And Mr. Ostoff, and Mr. Ostoff, and Mr. Ostoff, and Mr. Warnock, they are pushing for a one party America. It's so close. They can feel it in their hands. But back to Christmas. How the creator of Charlie Brown Christmas got gospel past CBS execs. Very interesting story if you've never heard it. Because even back then, they didn't want that. Neil deGrasse Tyson takes a gigantic dump on Christmas. Santa doesn't know zoology. Both male and female reindeers grow antlers, but all male reindeers lose their antlers in the late fall, well before Christmas. So Santa's reindeers, which all sport antlers, are therefore all female, which means Rudolph has been misgendered. A reply. Next you're going to tell me he doesn't fly all around the world in one night, come down all our chimneys, and leave presents of good little boys and girls. Bah humbug. A lump of coal for you. Yes, the problem here is misgendering of a flying fucking reindeer. Put down the freaking eggnog, Moonbat. Thank you for fact-checking the story about flying reindeer with one of those nose lights up, Neil. The amazing thing about this tweet, and it has to be deliberate, so I sort of respect the hustle, is it gets progressively more obnoxious the further along you read, and midway through you say to yourself, well, there's no way this could be more obnoxious than, bam, punchline. Jingle bam on that. You guys fucking suck. But it's not the other one. A Washington, D.C. radio station, Wash FM, 
flipped the switch to its annual 24-7 Christmas music rotation. That's about two weeks before the rest of America. After the severely limited year of 2020, it understandably more people would haul out the holiday and get in the spirit. But many on social media cried no Christmas music until after Thanksgiving. Which brings us to what people are saying. COVID curtails the comfort and joy of Christmas music. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Never has, never will. Christmas is a spirit. It's what you do. It's what you do. I don't need some liberal like Charlotte Clymer. Jesus Christ was a brown-skinned socialist Jewish refugee. He hung out with sex workers. Authorities called him a troublemaker. He was murdered by police. He advocated for universal health care and against wealth. He's a major prophet in Islam. He told us to love one another. You don't even believe. You don't believe. Then we get, we missed our annual reminder that Merry Christmas is white supremacy at work. Jen Bokoff. Conrad Black tweets it. Less than half of all Christians are white. In 2020, celebrating the birth of a Jewish person of color who 2.4 billion people believe saved all humanity is white supremacy. Jen Bokoff. This is your annual reminder that not everyone celebrates Christmas. The default to Merry Christmas is a normal greeting is also white supremacy. Culture at work. And someone celebrates by all means. But so many people don't. This literally happened, of all places, Kroger. Young African-American new chick. I don't know what the hell he was. I, I really don't. I don't know what he was. I said Merry Christmas. He said, yeah, sure. Those are the only words he spoke to me because him and the supervisor, all, everybody there is African-American now that runs the sales staff because the manager's African-American. But nobody's ever going to look into that. No. We would never look into that. They all just ignore you if you're white. I only go there because my son works there. But, man, it's they, they want to shit on anything traditional, as I've said numerous times on the show, because if they do that, they think they could brainwash you into thinking like them. Chrissy Teigen shares her Twitter-based New Year's Eve resolutions and then breaks them. Here it goes. I usually would not cover this idiot and John Legend, people I just don't care about, but what are you going to do? Excited about the New Year's resolution I started early, not explaining shit to you people. For years, I've been consumed by the overwhelming need to explain why I'm doing what I'm doing, why I did what I did. No more. I'm going to do the shit I do, and you're going to get bonkers about it. I I, I can't believe she will believe it because I bit it. Well, thanks for explaining to that. I thought it was kind of funny how she went to explain shit right after the tweet. (laughs) They're fucking stupid. They're just so fucking stupid. They just fucking kill me. They fucking kill me. But it's more than just the holiday. New York is investigating a health network serving Orthodox Jewish neighborhoods for vaccinating people. A Brooklyn-based health network allegedly improperly obtained COVID-19 vaccines and distributed them to the public. State Health Commissioner Howard Zucker lashed out saying it's fraudulently obtained. 
Because you want to know why? Well, COVID needs to go to rehabs. John Levine, addicts and rehabs next to get COVID-19 vaccine from Cuomo. So, of course, that's why we're doing it. Wolf Blitzer's back in here again. Everybody in the media was sucking Fauci's ass this week. This is a major journalist in our in our in our world, folks. A major journalist. He's a national treasure. Let's all wish Dr. Anthony Fauci a happy birthday today. We were all so grateful to him for saving lives over these years, and we need him more than ever. Now, if that's not disturbing enough, he's holding a fucking bobblehead. Remember post-Obama, we had all those people running around with dolls of Obama? Journalists? Yeah, we're back into that shit again. That's where we're at. This is our world. We unfortunately have to live there. It's really, really scary. Catherine Watson from CN fucking N. Happy birthday to Dr. Fauci. He's 80 today and told CBSN that today will be his first birthday. He's not with his children since they were born. Everybody in the world, get the fuck out of here. Then somebody tweets what literally scares me. Pray to St. Anthony Fauci. It's a real votive again. But they're not a cult. It's not a cult at all. No, not a cult. But then you hear sound bites like this. And I think generally um, there are incentives for people to be selfish. Um, we have people in power who are encouraging people to be selfish, who are promoting reckless reopening policies. And I think historically we do live in a culture that has encouraged people to sort of push the costs of their actions onto other people. Yeah, and you point out, I'm going to read part of your article, call the wedding stupid or selfish if you want. I can't argue with either characterization, but they aren't aberrant. There's nothing more American than a gaudy, expensive party that kills people. The very stories America tells about itself encourages us all to be selfish, to shift the cost of our actions onto others. So, I mean, is this in many ways, do you think, Sarah, just sort of a a commentary on America in general and not necessarily just this pandemic? Yeah, I mean, we need to put our responses to the pandemic into the appropriate context. They did not come out of a void. They aren't mysterious. And I think it's important to comprehend what's causing them. So that the next time that there is a major natural disaster, whether that's a pandemic or something else, we can respond better. What would you say to people about planning for the future right now? Well, great question. And I just really want to commend Sarah. One of the lines in Sarah's article that really resonated with me as a physician uh, was, uh, you know, we're inconvenienced, disappointed, even a little depressed. But we can reschedule a wedding. We can't resurrect anyone who dies because we decided to throw a plague party. That kind of stuff just cracks me the fuck up. That's a person from the New Yorker, and they also meet the millionaires who have rallied around a simple idea that rich, rich people like them should pay higher taxes. And everybody in the world says what Fasili Spock says. Ain't a damn thing stopping them. Nothing. Nothing. 
Oh, yeah, there is. Biden. Biden, carbon emission threat, the very existence of our planet. It's going to be a dark winter. And right on cue comes MSDNC with this, Jim. Concerns that was uh, expressed about the vaccine, as great as uh, it is to have it, Dr. Hazeltine, is that people will kind of see that light at the end of the tunnel as an excuse to maybe loosen up on some of the things that they've been doing. And the question everybody has is when they'll be herd immunity. Dr. Fauci has acknowledged he's moved his goalposts. Early on, it was 60 to 70 percent. Maybe about a month ago, he said 70, 75 percent. Now he's telling CNBC maybe 75 to 80 plus percent. Is that your thinking? And how long realistically should people wrap their brains around the fact that you have to wear a mask, you have to wash your hands? It's a while before we're going to have that herd immunity. Well, I think there are a number of questions uh, that you've asked. Uh, The first is, what about vaccine euphoria? I think that is misplaced because it's going to be a long time before most people get the vaccine. And we need, as has just been said very clearly and eloquently, we need to follow the rules. And we're not following the rules. That's partly because we have leadership, which is encouraging us not to follow the leaders, both federal leadership and state leadership in some places, and saying don't follow the rules. And people don't want to follow these rules. They're restrictive. That's understandable. The second thing is what can we really expect? We're learning now a lot, really quickly, about this virus. And it may be that what we're looking at is not once and done like polio with the vaccines, but much more like the flu where we're going to have this move from pandemic to endemic, where we're going to have to keep really good track of what's going on and adjust our vaccines to the strains that emerge. These strains that are emerging Mm -hmm. are very troubling. We don't have the full picture. But I believe because we haven't looked in the United States, we haven't found. But you'll see, I think, in the next few weeks that we have our own homegrown strains and we have to start thinking about adjusting the vaccines. So this is probably going to be much more like a decades-long battle that we have with the flu than a once-and-done battle that we've had with polio. Yeah, sobering warning. Uh, William. It's the power, boys and girls. They want power. That is Dr. William Hasseltine. Don't get overly optimistic about the COVID vaccine. We're in for a decade-long battle. Everybody says... 15 days to slow the spread, 10 years to flatten the curb. Yet, we're learning as much as they talk, and they're full of shit. This will be suppressed on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. University of Florida researchers have found no asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic spread of COVID. The study was published online by the Journal American Medical Association that could change everything. Clarification, the study found asymptomatic spread to be insignificant or statistically zero in household environments would continue to be important venues for transmission. Every time we come back and we look at the data, we find mask, no mask, lockdown, no lockdown, asymptomatic, pre-symptomatic, symptomatic. Symptomatic is the only thing you have to worry about with the spread. But they want to control. Washington Post op-ed wants immunity passports. These are the people that literally say voter ID is racist. 
but you can have to, you have to have a passport. Then we find UV light kills 99.9 in 30 seconds. But do you think anybody in our media is going to put that on? No. It's all about the power. We want the power to be able to tell you where to take a shit. Jesus freaking Christ. So, to end this and go to our first music break, because it's going to be a short show today, because we did a video show. Um, we're going to go with some st- stimulus. ABC's befuddled that Trump even wants that. Trump's an arsonist wanting to put out the flames. And let me see. Uh, the Cuomo. Literally saying or being able to bash Trump for COVID. The guy that put old people into retirement homes and killed them. And wants to give drug addict shots before grandma. Okay. And then we'll just go and put his son with them. Because on this show, they're the same thing. Or his brother or whatever the fuck they are. He says on inauguration day. Well, Biden should just shame Trump. And then we'll come into some tater. Gotta have some tater. This is sort of like a hostage negotiation where where President Trump is both the kidnapper and he wants to be the hero who comes in and saves the hostage at the end. It's such a great point. I mean, it's the arsonist putting out the fire. And Captain Chaos, you know, basically is at it again. I think the Republicans at this point are showing... Uh, their cards. The NDA is, it's a guns and butter issue, right? Been how much in lockstep the post has been with this president. The president throwing a tantrum because he lost the election. That will be how you are remembered, not as a revolutionary, but as the anarchist holding the match. The King Lear of Mar-a-Lago. Look, this elephant in the room that uh, we all know is out there, which is that there are 20-some days until the inauguration. Given the last four years, that sounds like something like a pie-in-the-sky hope. But you, you've been watching uh, President Trump even before he was president. You've been watching his public life for, for a long time, as you wrote about in your book. So w- do you have an inkling, do you have a sense of what his end game could be here? Is this a principled stand? Is it a play for attention? Is it neither? Is it both? W- what do you think? I think that what is going on here, Dan, is the president realized, and he is the negotiator, he takes pride in being the ultimate negotiator, he realized this is the last moment of supreme leverage that he may have as president. This is a bill that absolutely must pass, or we'll see a government shut down, we'll see you know, people thrown off the unemployment rolls. Uh, so he belatedly realized, hey, here's my chance to put my big mark on it. I don't think there was a lot of strategy on it be, uh, beyond that. You, you described it as befuddling, Jake. You know I cover the White House for NBC News, um, and even people close to the president that I've talked to don't quite understand in some ways the motivation here. Talk about any political benefit potentially for the president. Obviously, if, if Americans are hearing, hey, the president wants to get me more money, that's a good thing. But the deal is done, and the president's own administration members, as you referenced, actually worked on this. You're right. I, I don't know what the possible political motivation could be, Hallie. He's, he's, his presidency is over. Uh, he's gonna ru- He could have potentially ruined the chance for Republicans to hold on to the Senate. There's two special elections in Georgia coming up in the next couple of weeks. His party is being routinely and roundly blamed for this impasse. I don't understand at all what he's trying to do. I guess you could say he's trying to get more money for the American people. But again, I, 
if they're not getting unemployment, if the government shuts down at a time where so many people are relying on government aid, I don't know what the benefit is at all to the president. The U.K., uh, shut down, essentially, uh, after the prime minister said that he wouldn't shut down. He found out about this virus. He said it transmits 70 times as fast as the normal COVID virus. 120 countries have banned travel from the UK, uh, EU countries, uh, or mandated a health test uh, before the people get on the flight uh, and come to their country. That Why the United States... After what we went through, watching 120 other countries, why you wouldn't take action and require that people who fly to this country be tested first is beyond me. I mean, how many times do you have to make the same mistake in life? Uh, it really is an act of just negligence by government, not to say before somebody gets on the plane and flies to the United States, they test negative for the virus or for a variant of the virus. Well, Governor, to your point about that negligence, there's been little federal guidance from this outgoing administration. Are you confident that they're able to act now? No, no, I'm not confident that they're able to act now. Look, this is, a, uh, this is even a more complicated situa situation, right? Because you're sort of between administrations. Uh, but New York is not going to wait for the federal government to protect New Yorkers. We made that mistake back in the spring. Um, I've actually called the airlines that are flying into New York, uh, which are primarily British Airlines and Delta Airlines and uh, Virgin Airlines. And I said, you have 120 countries on the list that require testing. Uh, please add New York to those 120 countries. Uh, and they've agreed to do it. Uh, British Airways has agreed. Delta has agreed. They're testing for 120 other countries. But so they'll add New York. But it doesn't do New York any good unless it works for the nation. Right. Otherwise, you'll just have people fly into Chicago or somewhere else and get on a plane and fly to New York. That's one thing this nation has never really realized. You can't you can't control this virus state by state. It's impossible. We're one nation. Uh, so I took action as New York. But really, this nation should just say we want to join the other 120 nations uh, that require testing. You can't fly into the United States unless you test negative for COVID or this COVID variant. That is just common sense. Governor, I just want to make sure I understand, because as we came on air, I know that British Airways had agreed to that. Are you saying now that Delta and Virgin have agreed to that as well? In and around Trump, there had been people trying to talk sense to him. Well, I guess we got our answer, right? Yeah, no, he doesn't care. He's not listening to any of those people. But that that those pardons, as shocking as they are, are a precursor to more shocking pardons. And so Andrew's going to be right, but the thing that you're the most right about, Chris, is the elitism. Just imagine Americans out there struggling, and they're watching this, and they're saying, okay, wait a minute, there's a totally different set of rules for these people, uh, totally not what I learned about America, totally not what I learned about our meritocracy, and he's digging in, and he's doing it with impunity, and then the ridiculous part about this, Chris, he's raised a quarter billion dollars off another group of people 
that have bought, bought into this cultish nonsense and behavior. But you've got more pardons coming. You've got more egregious behavior coming in the next 28 days. Uh, but he knows he's out of there. You know, he's had lunch with uh, friends of mine who have sat down with him, and basically he's admitted to them that he's out of there. He's making a decision to go to the inaugural or not. I predict he goes, Chris. I don't see how he misses that. He's an attention hog. Uh, he'll try to make it about himself, and so my guess is he'll end up at the inaugural, and he'll leave a lot of wreckage. And I've said this before, and I'll say it on your show. We will likely need a constitutional amendment when this is over. We haven't had a massive amendment since the Voter Rights Act in 1955. We've had 27 amendments, and you get one every 8 to 10 years. We haven't had a real big one in 55 years. We had one in 93, but it was more administrative. Right. Uh, and we're going to need something to check his power or to check a president like him. God forbid we get another disaster like this. If he goes to the inauguration, Biden should point at him and speak to Republicans and say, you deserved better than this. He has left your party in shambles. I know the GOP. I know Republicans. I know what they're about at their best. And I will be there for you in restoring those virtues. I would point at his ass the whole time. So in terms of who he just well, pardoned maybe, and what he pardoned. Do- now, I don't think Biden will do that because mm-hmm. he's better than I yeah. am. And he's going to be a conciliator and he's going to try to move past it. And the best way to do that is to ignore um, someone well, like sometimes Trump. Sometimes you need people like you and me, though, Chris. Sometimes you need people like you and me to get in there and... And tell the truth and rough people up like this. This guy's a disaster. This guy. And he's really hurt the country. It's not just the Republicans, Chris, that he's hurt. He's hurt the entire country and he stained us in terms of our perception, the way people perceive us around the world. Uh, he has proven himself in just last, the last 24 hours to be the worst. And for context on that, Chris Christie prosecuted. Looking back at news coverage of the last four years, four overwhelming years of politics, one word that probably wasn't used enough is narcissist. Do you know what I mean? Another word the press probably should have used more often is narcissism. Trump's obsession with media, especially news coverage of himself, was a defining feature of the past four years. All of these news stories here talk about his obsession with news coverage, of the economy, of his rallies, of his impeachment, etc. And this addiction gave his favorite network, Fox News, an enormous amount of power. As I wrote in my book, Hoax, earlier this year, the joke around Fox was that Trump watched more of the network's programming than management did. According to my sources, Trump aide Hope Hicks hated the drumbeat of stories about the president being glued to Fox. She thought it made him look ill-informed and small. The problem was the stories were accurate. By 2020, I reported that numerous executives at Fox wished Trump would watch less TV. There's something there about a Frankenstein and about what you've created and it turning against you. I don't know. And actually walk the talk. So, Kennedy, it is free speech. And as you're hearing Emily say, is it wise free speech when it has a tone of hypocrisy to it? No, I mean, hypocrisy and free speech are are two different things. We have to protect even abhorrent, simplistic 
overly busy, unreadable free speech, as unpopular as it might be. And uh, mm -hmm. back to Brian Stelter. Uh, I, I'm going to steal a line from Stephen Miller. Tater's going to tater. And he <laughs> might be the most unsophisticated <laughs> analyst in the history of media analysis. Uh, he's, he's not just ham-fisted, he's ham-headed. It's a miracle. Wow. We've had taters, bologna, and mayo on the show. Jillian, what I come breakfast. to you to put a bow on it. I'm hungry. <laughs> I know. For me, it is, anyway. I don't know what there really is to say about the cartoon and about the coverage of the cartoon. This guy is turning into such an incredible fucking asshat. And, and once again, just like Jake Tapper, they started their lives as libs. And now they're news people. Looking back at the news coverage of the past four years, one word that probably wasn't used enough is narcissist. Let's look at Obama. At this time in the podcast, if I wanted to lengthen the show out, I would play just track after track of that dude talking off his nose at you like you're some fucking peasant, saying you didn't build that. We built the roads. That's why you're a millionaire. Heather Champion went after him. You put up a clip of yourself talking about yourself and your own book, and you are claiming someone else has a problem with narcissism. Physical geek. You lack self awareness. Jissa, I quite literally spat my valuable, highly caffeinated coffee of irony at this. Damn you, Seltzer. Jolly Phil, I love how you almost go out of your way to set up dunks on yourself. Yes, that word definitely wasn't used enough to describe the news coverage of the last four years. Because that's the second angle. Acosta, Cuomo, Lemon, Sweet God, everybody at CNN, MSNBC, you just fucking name a media outlet. They spent their time trying to outdo themselves on how fucking horrible Trump was. Look at the view. And then Joe, are you talking about you or Acosta? And they show pictures. Of all of them on CNN. One dude literally being Acosta in front of a mirror. That was a picture. Then we have ham-headed liberal pals rush to defend CNN Brian Seltzer for mean mockery on Fox. On Tuesday's Outnumber, there was a discussion on how Seltzer began his show on radicalization. We played it in the last podcast. It's fine to be against wild, unsubstantiated conspiracy theories, but Seltzer suggested back in March it's a conspiracy theory that there's a liberal bias on coronavirus. And when it came to unsubstantiated claims of Trump-Russia collusion, Seltzer lamely argued he's a media reporter, not a steel dossier reporter. The liberal outrage was spurred when Kennedy said back to Brian Seltzer, I'm going to steal a line from Stephen Miller, Tater's going to tater, and we played it on the show. Justin Baroga was the first to do it. Jeremy Barr. Brian Seltzer doesn't need defending, but I'm surprised that Fox News leader put up with the schoolyard bullying by its host. I know Sean Hannity thinks it's funny to call him Humpty Dumpty and Tucker Carlson to send donuts as a fat joke. I thought fat people are bad if they're white. That's what you say. Hell, that's what my doctor says to me. 
Barr is so pre so pro CNN. He once tried to claim Chris Cuomo was a perfectly posed centrist in an ideological no man's land. Seltzer himself applauded Barona's supposed panache in his defense. A-plus headline, Fox News complains about media being mean to conservatives and compares CNN host to a potato. The guy put his own shit up. But the closing of this article nails it. All this obscures the obvious that Seltzer can't plead innocent to being mean in his unsophisticated media analysis. Seltzer's show infamously hosted the expert who predicted Trump would end up killing more people then Hitler, Stalin, and Mao. That was on his show. On his network, you have a correspondent. Obama, progress. Trump, stepping back. Camellia, thrilling. We also have Nicole Wallace. GOPs are jerks. From MSDNC and this Tiffany Cross girl trying to get her bones being worse than Joy Reid. I think often in this country you make some progress and then you take a couple of steps back. That has happened before. I mean, in fact, uh, uh, we elected the first black president and followed that up with uh, the, the person who doubted whether he was born in the United States. So sometimes there is this pendulum swinging that happens. Abby, it was such an historic year, really. It's, it blows your mind to think back on how much happened. Sometimes we forget when something happened that really was also truly historic, which is that we have the first black woman as vice president-elect. That's a big deal. Kamala Harris here is breaking all kinds of barriers all at once. Uh, just reflect on the significance of this. Yeah, I mean, it's such a good point that with all of the stuff going on, it's hard to miss the big thing that um, I think will go down in the history books as having never been done before. This is such a big moment for women, uh, for black people in this country, and for South Asian people in this country, who in one person, they have someone breaking um, so many different barriers. And um, I think of particularly for, for women, the idea that uh, finally this country has elected to one of the top two positions in the entire nation, and, and some might say the, in the entire world, a woman for the very first time, it's, um, I think for some people, a little depressing to, to, that it's taken so long, but it's a thrilling moment, especially for those um, who might have wanted Hillary Clinton to uh, break that glass ceiling four years ago. Um, look, Kamala Harris is going to uh, be changing that role in a lot of profound ways. I'm going to take the mask off because I'm not going to be 15 minutes long, but you want me to wear a mask. I work with uh, 99 strange people from all across the country. <laughs> Marco Rubio there last month indoors at a rally for the Georgia Senate runoff elections there, making light of mask wearing. Rubio is one of the many Republicans who have downplayed the severity of the pandemic since March. But despite their insistence that mask wearing wasn't necessary, many of those same Republicans seem to jump at the chance to get the vaccine themselves. Rubio, along with Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell, were some of the first people to receive the limited quantity of the vaccine over the last few days before frontline essential 
workers. Let's bring into our conversation Elise Jordan, MSNBC political analyst, Time magazine contributor, and a former aide to the George W. Bush White House and State Department, and former Maryland Congresswoman Donna Edwards, contributing columnist to the Washington Post and an MSNBC contributor. Donna, what do you think? Well, you know, I'm of mixed minds. If I were just deciding for myself, I probably wouldn't give them the vaccine. But really, for continuity of government purposes, I think it's important for every member of Congress uh, to be vaccinated. Uh, we're going to go into a, a, a year at the beginning of the year where important decisions need to be made, choosing the Speaker of the House, making sure that we have a full complement in the Senate after those runoff elections in, in Georgia, and then, of course, getting down to legislation in advance of Joe Biden taking the oath of office. Uh, I also think it's important for them to demonstrate, even if they're latecomers, the importance of taking the vaccine and also the importance of continuing to wear mask wearing and not joke about it. This is no joke. People are dying. And we need to make sure that we get all of our frontline workers vaccinated. I'm really worried about whether we're going to have enough vaccine in enough time to make sure that we're fully vaccinated across the country. You know, um, Elise, I think Donna put it so perfectly, but the problem is they've been such jerks, so it makes it feel wrong. Marco Rubio is now, to me, the embodiment of Republican cheesiness and hypocrisy, both on the pandemic and on civility and conduct and language, if you will. What do you make of comfort people have about people who have been um, dismissive of the public safety measures and who really haven't been rushing um, into the towers, if you will, to save either their constituents or the country when it comes to the economic pain people are suffering, getting bumped to the front of the line for vaccines. You know, I'm with you, Nicole and Donna, too. In my heart, I am so annoyed and I just find it absolutely galling that elected official, officials who have been among the greatest super spreaders and who have been flaunting social distancing uh, mores and who have not been wearing masks, that they get to head to the front of the line. But in terms of practicality, I do understand why members of Congress should be vaccinated. Unemployment benefits run out today. That will impact 14 million people and their families. But what else is at risk? Well, there's also eviction protections, emergency aid, and on Monday, the government is set to shut down. The expiration of unemployment benefits alone will push 5 million people into poverty. And all week you've been hearing about this bill that Congress sent to the president and can bring at least some of this uncertainty to a screeching halt. But Donald Trump has yet to find it. While House Republicans have blocked attempts to increase the stimulus payments in the bill from $600 to $2,000, which is what Donald Trump claims he wants. And while people's lives and livelihoods hang in the balance, where are the country's top two executives? Well, Trump is in Palm Beach and Mar-a-Lago, and Mike Pence is reportedly in the slinky ski town of Vail, Colorado. Joining me now to discuss this and more is Congresswoman Barbara Lee of California. Congresswoman, I'm so happy to have you with me. And I have to just start out by saying this feels like the ghetto. You have those like neighbors in the hood when their house is in foreclosure and they just trash the place. It feels like Donald Trump is treating this country like the house in foreclosure and just trashing the place on his way out. 
None of that's ever covered on Brian Seltzer. But he did bring on six people to talk about the H.O. Trump. Who were they? Jake Tapper, hack. Caitlin Collins, uber hack. Acosta, activist. Abby Phillips, activist. Jay Diamond, activist. D. Dale, activist. I mean, at least the Atlantic, come on, at least. What will the opposition party do come January 21st? McKay Coppins looks at the post-Trump media. But the Trump era has been specifically rewarding to a certain class of Washington reporter. As the White House beat became the biggest story in the world, once obscure correspondents were recast in the popular imagination as resistance heroes, fighting for truth, justice, and the American way. They were showered with book deals, speaking gigs, and hundreds of thousands of Twitter followers. They got glow-ups to accompany their new cable news contracts, and these glow-ups were covered in glossy magazines. This drama has made, okay, it was uh, Jim Acosta. The drama has made him famous, but Acosta said he doesn't expect to bring the same crusade style to his coverage of the next administration. I don't think the press should be trying to whip up the Biden presidency and turn it into a must-see TV. Of course not. Same team. Daniel Dale, a fact checker, says his beat will necessarily expand come January. It will not be a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week job and fact-check Biden. To fact-check Biden, he told me, though he stressed at the same intensity and rigor. My left nut. They're going on vacation. WAPO's already started. Camelia Harris' marriage inspires so many of us still searching for our Dugs. And everybody says, this is journalism for the next four years. It's already starting. Now this, these agencies are filled with patriots who have earned our respect and should never be treated as political footballs. In contrast with President Trump, President-elect Biden shows deference, respect to the intelligence He shows what? Isn't the president supposed to be the highest office? No president should ever have deference for the intel community. My reply to it, they sure didn't like him during Hillary's fucking email scandal. Remember, the FBI was a bunch of goddamn cons. They're still going after anybody that questions this election. Denying the Holocaust threatens democracy. So does denying the election results. Social wreckage. I seem to remember a group of people who also denied election for four years. And they're doing it because the latest poll, 78% of Republicans believe the election was fraudulent. And why did they? Natasha, we've seen the same movie before. Ready, set, action. New York Post. Georgia Senate runoff might not be decided for weeks. And everybody in the world, is there going to be a water break? But the media's ignored Warnock's fucking camp, uh, running over his wife, and Ostoff. Especially during 18th Party Congress, follow XY News, Xinyu Chinese State Media. That's him. He's trying to delete it. 
He's pro-China. Jerry Christmas, or Jerry Dunleavy. Ostop, back in 2012, when he was studying at the London School of Economics, recommended that his followers follow a Chinese Communist Party propaganda outlet during the 18th Party Congress of the CCP. But our media is all in for it. ABC. Drone footage captures stunning winter spectacles across China. Stunning. They're just stunning. China. Pasheep Shakur. Any pictures of the concentration camps? Not a perfect analogy, but Lenny Restufov should be proud. China's beautiful, but ignoring the genocide is unforgivable. And I, of course, said, we don't do this for conservatives. When Reagan died, we pretty much blamed him for AIDS. AIDS. But they're in a fervor. Here's CBS. We read this two years ago on the show. It was, I, I mocked it. Now it's mainstream. Emails are killing the climate. This morning in our series, Eye on Earth, we look at how working from home is affecting the environment. When people all over the world don't go to the office, there are fewer cars on the road. That's good for stopping air popu- pollution. But a recent UN report found an unexpected 7% drop in emissions this year will have an insignificant effect on the overall global warming trend. Mark Phillips shows how working from home can actually impact the planet more than you may realize. For a lot of us in these COVID times, the morning commute has developed into its own new routine, fighting all that traffic down the hallway and into the home office. But if there's one consolation to this new way of life, it's the feeling that, however solitary, it may be better for the planet. We are, after all, producing a lot less of the global warming greenhouse gases that we used to by spewing our way to work in our cars and then spending our days in power-hungry offices. Well, hold the smugness. Working from home is not cost-free. And the more of us who do it, the more environmentally expensive it becomes. Every email and text, especially the unnecessary little ones, every thank you and got it. Every time we hit send or download or stream or zoom, they all require power. Somewhere massive banks of computers are storing and processing that data, sucking up enormous amounts of electrical energy to do it. The cloud doesn't so much have a silver lining as a carbon one. I mean, it's, it's certainly good for the planet to save your commute. But Mike Berners-Lee, who has written on the carbon cost of everything, says it's not that simple. But on the other hand, if you're at home with the heating on, which it wouldn't otherwise have to be, then that's not so good. And you're probably using more uh, computing stuff than you would be. Think about it. Every email we send not only requires electricity to write, as it travels across the Internet, it gets stored and transferred from one mega server to another, gobbling up energy along the way. Then, if it gets read, it sucks up even more power. 
An email may use just 5% of the power needed to deliver a paper letter, but we send and receive gazillions of them. Someone here has actually done the math and figured that if everyone in Britain sent one less thank you email a day, the carbon saving would be like taking about 3,500 cars off the road. And Glenn Greenwald will slow us down and take us to This Is America, because once again, I'm trying to do an hour and a half show. Joe Biden laughs when Fox News' Peter Ducey asks if he still thinks the allegation against Hunter Biden are Russian disinformation. Yeah, I love you, man. You're one host porn, one horse pony. Glenn Greenwald, this was a legitimate, even vital question. The Biden camp lied that Hunter docs were Russian disinformation. In lieu of answering, Biden mocked the journalists. When Trump did that, journalists raised their voices in solidarity. But, sir, times have changed. Music NP, not a conservative. He doesn't answer. And MSM gives him a pass on everything. And they'll keep doing it. Because it's all about narrative as our This is, the, this is America will show when an African-American teen in cuffs shoots a cop. Not one network covered it but Fox. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the worst soundbite. When the liberal media is pushing one of them agenda story and says, and This is America in 2019. Good morning. So let's begin with this because a manhunt intensifies for the suspect accused of shooting a Pennsylvania police officer. Dramatic video shows the moment Kobe Francis escapes. Watch this as McKeesport officer Gerasimo Athens opens the door. Francis shoots him three times with a gun, a hidden gun. Athens returns fire as Francis runs away in handcuffs. The 22-year-old was apparently checked for weapons during his arrest for violating a protection from abuse order. Athens is expected to be out of the hospital soon. That's fucking criminal. It's just fucking criminal. Talk about pushing a narrative. Here's another one. Alyssa Milano. Anti-maskers are the same people who think they need an AR-15 for protection. Louder for the people in the back. A mask will protect you more than an AR-15 will. Chris McKeever. writes something absurdly stupid. Limit replies so people can't tell you what a stupid thing you wrote. Another one. Sees rabbit coyote in the yard. Let me get my mask. Another one. When I need to defend myself, I'll just pull out my face mask and it usually scares them away. I mean, seriously, they don't even tie together. But once again, we're in the fervor. The fervor is all the pent up punishment we want to put on people who don't vote like us. Oh, we're whipping that shit out. Whipping that shit out. And then probably my favorite thing ever is this story about Twitter brought to you by Tom Elliott. The Biden camp is now complaining that Twitter, not giving them the Trump admins millions of followers, unnecessary politicize what otherwise should be a routine transfer of communication. 
from CNN. President-elect Joe Biden's transition team has criticized Twitter's decision to not allow the millions of followers of the White House Twitter accounts to be automatically retained when the accounts are handed over to the new administration. Twitter's reluctance to transfer millions of followers from the Trump administration to the Biden administration unnecessarily politicized what other words should be a blah, blah, blah. Biden, Harris, staff member says. Dan Moody. The best part of this was the article I saw claiming Trump had been petty when it was Twitter's decision. Stellar reporting. Because, of course, that's how they always, always do. Daily Wire. Biden team complained, we want Trump's White House Twitter account. Replies. Let me see how I can say this politely. Shove it. Got to keep the illusion up. Sure, he can watch us unsub. Oh, hell, I'll be unfollowing all those accounts. Two words. Earn them. Here's the deal. And it's the funniest part about it. They criticized every time he fucking tweeted. Reporters said they were mind-numbling, dying, having to fucking follow Trump's tweets. It's terrible. But now? Really? Really? You want his Twitter account. Those are all fucking backwood, inbred, white supremacist, Nazis, baby killers. I mean, need I go on? You say horrible things about them. But now you want the Twitter account. No. No and no. And then no. So, this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends and send comments about the track to flyoverpolitik with a K at outlook.com. You can get the show on SoundCloud, YouTube when I do a video one, Podcast Attic, TuneIn, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, Down in Pocket Cast. Remember to check out the Flop Tony Reed Twitter account where you can find the YouTube link. I will be doing a YouTube podcast Sunday, 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 3 January 2021, which is super scary. I know this podcast is super short, but that's because I did an hour 45 on the other one. So we kind of, yeah. It balances out to my three hours. And I'm going to play this in the background. Because I want to tell you. I hope you have a fantastic New Year. Spend some time with your family. Have a toast to the new year. I hope 2020 brings you and your family nothing but happiness, healthiness, jobs, because that's what I'm going to do, and peace. It's been a horrible year. It really has. We can all say it. The only positive about 2021 is now we'll have a media that's not ever spending every five fucking seconds saying how horrible we all are. But wait, yeah, they will, because they'll say it's our fault that Biden can't push through some communistic, socialistic, Marxist, piece of shit 
resolution to turn our country into one-party rule. But I digress. For all those that have listened to my show, I thank you so much. It means a lot. I hope I don't scare you off with the YouTube because I'm an ugly dude. Gotta admit. But I hope you try it out. Give it a shot. If it doesn't fly, it will die and I'll just put it away and stay audio. But until the 3rd of January 2021, disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yeahs and spend time with your family. As Clarence says, no man's a failure who has friends. I always say no man's a failure who has family. So enjoy them. And tune in the new year for more exciting episodes of Flyover Politic Podcast. Take care. See you next year. And never brought to mind Should old acquaintance be forgot On days of old lang syne Poor old lang syne, my dear for listening to flyover politic podcast please check out our twitter account at fop tony reed and send suggestions or comments to email address f-o-p-p-o-d-c-a-s-t at gmail.com 
Remember, the flyover states are the backbone of this country. Never fear flying your flag and standing tall. Ignore the media hate. Ignore the fascist coastal states. Try as they might to bring America down. The patriots of this country will never bow down.